Thank you very much uh, to Tabisa Rich for playing us in and to Harry Droz, who is the station manager behind the controls, making everything run. This is Arts Respond on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. I'm your host, Lucy Gelman. And today I'm very excited to be here with Faisal Saleh, who is the executive director, founder, part-time curator at the Palestine Museum US, which is in Woodbridge. You haven't visited this museum yet. Um, I cannot recommend it highly enough. And we will talk about some of the exhibitions that have cycled through and are in the space right now. Um, but first of all, Faisal, welcome to Arts Respond. Thank you very much for joining me on this on this Friday. I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Lucy. It's uh, my great pleasure to be with you today. Um, so as we begin, I would like folks who maybe are not familiar with with you or with the Palestine Museum US to know a little bit about what this space is. So you opened, I think three, is it three years ago? I don't know what time is anymore because we've had this pandemic. Um, and- It's five and a half years ago. Oh my gosh, five and a half years ago. Yeah, so I have no sense of, of time. Um, but but I would love for our listenership, which is very broad and includes artists, but also folks who are not in the art specifically, to know a little bit more about you and what compelled you to open the Palestine Museum US. Great, let me uh, start from the beginning. Um, uh, I am uh, a Palestinian. Uh, my family uh, comes from a village near Jaffa called Salama, it's about five kilometers east of Jaffa. In 1948, uh, my family became refugees. Uh, they lost uh, all their belongings and their property and everything and ended up uh, in the West Bank uh, town of El Bire, which is a twin city to Ramallah. Uh, I was born three years after that, and I was at that point the 11th child uh, to my parents. Uh, don't know why they decided they needed one more and they have 10 and they couldn't feed any of them. Um, so... Um, I uh, grew up in the West Bank, um, attended public schools there, and um, I lived uh, two years uh, under the Israeli occupation. The Israel began occupying the West Bank in 1967. So in uh, the summer of 1969, I came to the U.S. to finish um, my last year of high school, and I had a scholarship from a Quaker school in uh, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, near Philadelphia, called uh, George School. And um, after um, finishing that, I uh, went to Oberlin College, uh, again with financial aid from the college, for four years and graduated with a BA degree and began working. Uh, my first job was at the Travelers Insurance Company in Hartford. Uh, and uh, I had a few jobs. Um, and then after that, I really didn't like working for big companies and decided to strike on my own after five years of corporate work and uh, did some entrepreneurial work initially that uh, did not really go well. But uh, with perseverance, I progressed into other things and um, eventually had a very um, thriving business that uh, um, I ran for 25 years. And um, I sold that business in 2010. And following that, um, I uh, bought into a small consulting firm just to stay in the profession. And uh, 10 years after that, that firm was sold. And uh, I worked there for a year with a new company. And a few months ago, I retired from that business altogether. 
Uh, now, while I was um, looking for things to do after selling the company, uh, I came across the idea of uh, starting a, a museum for Palestine. I had been looking for things to do because for like uh, 40 years, I, I just was busy working, kept my nose to the grindstone. And um, I wanted to do something for Palestine, but um, I didn't come across anything compelling enough to do it. Uh, so initially, I, I thought of um, starting a tennis academy in Palestine and, and trained like 100 or 200 young uh, men and women to represent Palestine in international tournaments. But the the idea, uh, I, I, I'm very interested in tennis and I play tennis all, whenever I can. And the, the idea ran into some issues locally because the the um, the authorities, the Palestine authority there is really uh, not very progressive and they're somewhat corrupt. And for me to try to set up a business there, it was going to be uh, very difficult uh, at best. So I, I canned that idea and an idea of the museum came along. At the time, uh, there weren't any Palestinian museums in all of the Americas and possibly all of the Western Hemisphere. So we were looking at a, a big vacuum when it comes to art and museums for Palestine. At the same time, you know, there were at least 70 museums that uh, kind of supported the Israeli narrative and uh, disseminated it. Uh, so there was quite a, a big imbalance and uh, there was a big opportunity uh, to create uh, a voice for Palestine in the art world. Um, and hence the idea of, of starting the museum, which uh, I worked on it for um, uh, close to a year. And then and on April 22nd of 2018, we opened the museum. And when the museum opened, it, it was totally full with artwork. We had over 200 works of art, a couple hundred photographs, and we had a... a a tremendous uh, opening ceremony with music and Palestinian cuisine and about 130 attendees. Which so is amazing. Uh, amazing. And I also have found um, of, often actually in talking to artists, but also folks who are sometimes, sometimes people feel a certain way about uh, a political or a global debate or issue. And I have often found that artwork is a way in a, a very beautiful way in. And I want to say multimedia artwork, not just visual art. Sometimes it's music, sometimes it's film, which I know you are a great lover of as well. And so for you, has visual art always been something that sort of stirs your soul? Or uh, I guess I'm, I'm interested in, in how you came to specifically um, filling this space, which I should say is in a, like an office business park that um, Eric Epstein has done a really beautiful job turning into a, a muse museological or, or museum space, um, making filling this with visual art. And I, I will say there's painting, there's photography, there's sculpture and installation. Um, so just to, to be uh, uh, honest with you, uh, I didn't really have, much experience in the art world and I didn't really I was not into the visual arts the only art I was really passionate about was photography because when I was 10 years old one of my brothers who worked in Kuwait uh, they used to come in the summer each year to spend a few months there and and he brought me a $10 camera with him it was made in Hong Kong I think or some somewhere out there 
and it was a, a nondescript little camera and um i figured out how to use it and started taking photos with it and i've been taking photographs ever since so that we're looking at maybe you know uh, 60 years worth of photography that i've been doing and of course i saw the technology uh change and my ability to afford equipment had improved significantly i should say uh so and now i have the latest the latest in in uh, photo technology and the money can buy um but that's that's really the only art that I was familiar with, and everything else I had to really learn, uh, and 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 fully understand uh, what's it all about, and you know I had to learn what the art community looks like, not just in the U.S. here, but also in Palestine, the Middle East, and in Europe, and kind of uh, figured it out. And my my business experience over the years uh, proved very valuable in the sense that I I. I'm skilled at uh, you know starting organizations and and uh, being able to launch uh, ventures and, and launch organizations and organize and manage and and plan and things like that. So that was very helpful uh, in terms of bringing bringing the museum uh, up to speed in a very short period of time. Now I did um, contact a lot of artists uh, in Palestine and, and, and Palestinian artists in the diaspora and um, managed to talk to a large number of them and um, and kind of pitched the idea of the museum for them. Initially, it wasn't easy because the artists were kind of uh, not sure whether they want to work with somebody they've never heard of. But then I was able to convince one of the uh, artists in New York, uh, who was a very well uh, known Palestinian artist and highly regarded. Her name is Samia Halabi. She's one of the top uh, Palestinian artists and she's an abstract artist. Uh, and uh, she liked the idea. She came to um, the building where I was planning the museum. She checked things out and she uh, agreed to lend me two or three um, impressive pieces of her artwork. And uh, that kind of opened the door for a lot of other people to do the same. And from there on, it became a much easier task to talk to artists and get their artwork. And the way we work with the artists is we borrow their artwork because the museum, we don't have a lot of money, so we can't really buy the artwork. And buying artwork, as you know, is very expensive. So most of the artwork at the museum is uh, on loan from artists. Some of it, some of the artwork we've had since we opened, like for over five years, some of it we've just had for a few months and a lot of things in between. Um, so uh, we were able to put together a great a great collection uh, from from the different artists around uh, Palestine and from Europe and the U.S. and other places. Uh, so uh, we're fortunate that that so many there are a lot of Palestinian artists everywhere, and uh, a lot of them really were looking forward to have the, having their work exhibited in the United States. Uh, and so we we were able to create. Uh, an outlet for these artists to, to share their artwork with people here. Yes, and I should say it has also become, uh, if it wasn't initially, I think an, an educational space as well, which is one thing that I know is, is really dear to you. And, um, and part of that has also been bringing attention to some of the violence that is happening and has been happening in Palestine. I, I want to highlight, of course, that over your 
I'm trying to think right right shoulder um, is a portrait of Shirin Abu Akla, um, who was killed last year in May uh, while she was reporting. So I'm a member of the Palestinian press. Um, and I know that there was, a, I, I believe there was a, a memorial service at the museum in which this portrait was also uh, discussed and unveiled. And so I'm, I'm wondering, Faisal, if we can also talk about some of the programming uh, that is and has been happening at the museum, especially the ongoing film series, mm -hmm. which I know um, folks tune in. One of the things I find amazing is folks tune in from around the world. Um, if people have not heard of this series, I, I want to shout out Alan Appel, who's a reporter at the New Haven Independent, who wrote about last Saturday. It was last Saturday's film, yes. correct? Um, which 130 people attended online, which I thought was really cool. Um, that even in this sort of age of Zoom fatigue, people want a gathering space where they can talk about a, a work of art, a, a specific work of art. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the yeah. programming at the museum and your educational hope and mission. Yeah, well, let's let's start with the film series. Um, the, the, this thing started uh, when the pandemic happened, like the week a week before the pandemic was officially announced in Connecticut and things were closed down. We had just had an opening for an art exhibit, and we had 130 people here who attended the, the opening. And then a week later, Connecticut was shut down. Uh, so we uh, started thinking, well, what are we going to do now? We can't just shut down the museum like that. So we came up with the idea of doing things um, um, remotely on Zoom. And uh, I really didn't have much experience with Zoom at the time, but I had to kind of learn it very quickly. So we we started by offering like one event uh, every other week, and we thought people liked it. So we we started offering it every week, and eventually we have two events now every week. So uh, and the film series has uh, really a, a very engaged audience, and they're very regular. Like if for some reason I don't announce a film on for for the weekend i would get a ton of email from people wondering did they really miss the mailing or something so we have to um really work hard and to come up with a, a film every every week and sometimes we repeat the films you know that we, the film that we showed like six months ago we may show it again or because uh when we show the film for the second time believe it or not we get more people than the first time because then the people who saw it want to see it again, but they also want to invite their friends and they want other people to see it. So they share it with other people and and so forth. And a lot of people miss the film and they email us, well, can we see it again? And we say, well, you have to wait till, you know, we do it again in a few months. So um, so the film series has been a great, a great success. And of course, we decided we're going to continue with doing this remote programming uh, because it really gives us a global reach, and um, I'm surprised we didn't know, we didn't think of it earlier. Uh, we should, in hindsight, we should have had it before the pandemic, even because that's really the best way to leverage the resources that we have and to get uh, a great audience. Now, when people log in into Zoom, uh, they log in like 15 minutes before the show, and uh, in the meantime. Uh, uh, myself and my, I have a co-host also from uh, who, who, who tunes in from uh, Madison, Wisconsin. The two of us 
greet the people as they log in in the chat and greet them individually and they all talk back and and after a while you get to know all these people so you know like at least 60 70 people that come all the time and it's, it's so interesting that it's become like some sort of a, a closely knit community and they all know each other because they they make comments during the after the film during the discussions in the chat and uh, it really has been a gratifying experience now we most of the time we bring the director of the film uh, in, uh, on the Zoom session for post-screening discussions, and uh, sometimes the film directors are so amazed by the level of engagement our audience is. So we may have like uh, two hundred people watch the film, and one hundred and seventy-five would stay on for the discussion. He said he'd never seen anything like that, uh, and the the kind of questions and the kind of people expressing ideas and opinions and things it's, it's quite interesting. So without spending a lot of time, the other kind of programming we do online is we have a, a basically like a talk show. And with the talk show, we host different personalities sometimes. And sometimes we show like short films or there may be, um, we've seen some, some good uh, interview on YouTube for a particular person. We maybe share part of that with the audience and then we invite people to come on the panel and people raise their hands and we'll bring them to the panel and they and they become a panelist and participate in the conversation now besides the online programming we've done uh art openings of course when we have exhibits um and we've done uh, two of those during the last uh three three four months and uh we've also had uh, we've had a cooking uh event one time We've had plays, um, including like a, a one-person play recently, and we've had musical concerts. We've had opera, an opera singer here, and we've had uh, a variety of other types of music um, concerts right here. So uh, we're just waiting for people to get used to coming back to in-person events before we start offering concerts again, even though now it's safe, but there's still a bit of of hesitancy, hesitancy on, on the part of some people. So the um, the good thing about the museum here is that our event space allows us to have 125, 130 people on site. Uh, and it, it gives us the ability to serve food also because we have a lot of room in the building. Uh, so it, it's an ideal space. And this, we offer the space for free to members of the community, to nonprofit organizations who want to participate here. And we've had a number of them that have taken us up on it. And in fact, we've had some memorial services that took place here for somebody who passes away, uh, who you know was a Palestinian or passionate about Palestine, and the family decides to, that they would like to have a memorial held, you know, a celebration of life at the museum in honor of the, of the, pace, the person who passed. So we, we've had a variety of... Uh, uh, events here, including, uh, you know, uh, one of the uh, local groups holds their, their Jewish services at the museum, like the Rosh Hashanah service and the Yom Kippur service have been held here. Um, so we were very excited about um, the programming that we do at the museum. And we're, I want to emphasize that we're open to the community for using the space. Anybody that wants to have an event here, um, we could we provide the space at no charge, and while the people are here, can also visit the museum at no charge. Which is 
Pretty amazing. And I, I will say right now, there is an exhibition called The Art of the Palestinian Thobe. It's up through the end of December, correct? Yes. And um, and showcases really gorgeous embroidery and traditional Palestinian dress. Um, if you like embroidery, if you don't know anything about embroidery, if you've never thought long about embroidery, um, it's it's a, a really beautiful show. Um, and it also, and, and this feels like maybe a, a segue, um, but one thing that I was so moved by when I saw the exhibition in person was that it, at, at a time of um, sort of a, a horror that is happening in, in many places in the globe, including in Gaza, it forces you to slow down and to really look at detail and beauty and and the hand, like literally the loving handiwork that has gone into a garment, which I, I found very moving. I was very, very moved by. So for folks who are, oh, did I cut you off? No. Okay. Um, for folks who are just joining us, this is Arts Respond on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. If you've been with us for the past 20 minutes or so, thank you for staying with us. If you're just jumping in, my guest today is Faisal Sala. Um, and we are talking about the Palestine Museum US, which is in Woodbridge, um, and specifically Palestinian art, artists, and the museum's educational mission. I'm going to switch now to a topic that I think for both of us is difficult, which is talking about Palestinian art and artists, um, and also folks living in and across the diaspora right now at a time of horrific global violence um, that has come to Gaza. So as of this morning, the Associated Press has, um, excuse me, has reported that over 9,000 Palestinians have been killed and that over one third of those are small children. So I, I just want to acknowledge for folks who are listening that this is a, a difficult topic, might be a triggering topic, um, uh, but Faisal, I'm wondering if you can talk specifically about some of the artists that you've been in touch with um, and also about some of the folks that we know that we've lost. Yeah. Well, we have, uh, I have uh, a number of artists who we exhibit their work here. And uh, uh, I check up on them periodically by sending um, uh, short text messages on uh, like Facebook Messenger because the, the bandwidth there is that the internet now is, is, is very, very tiny. And just to make sure they're still alive, and I send a message in the morning, and then I'm relieved when I get an answer back, even though if it's just a few words. Um, we did lose um, uh, four artists uh, so far. Um, now, none of those artists have works here, but um, I was familiar with some of them, and the artists that I know are very good friends with them. And in, in most cases, the, the, it was not... They weren't the only one killed, but it was their entire family, you know, their all their children and spouses and parents. And, you know, because in Gaza, a lot of people live together in extended family set settings because it's very crowded. Um, and uh, for most people that don't know what the size of Gaza is, it's like a, when you run the marathon, you run from one beginning, from the beginning to end of Gaza almost. Uh, it, it, and the width of it is five miles. It's like a, a morning walk. You go from one end of 
the area to the other. And inside that, there are 2.5 million people. Uh, so that that's really the size. And um, one of the people who passed away was the filmmaker that uh, of the film that we showed last Saturday. And the film was called um, um, uh, Bank of Targets, uh, which is a military term that for like when airplanes go bombing, they they receive a list of targets in, in priority order. And they call that the Bank of Targets. And it, it really, it was filmed uh, and released in 2021, about two years ago. But watching the the film, uh, you can tell if it wasn't the news. I mean, it's like watching the news and watching the film, you can tell them apart. It was exactly what you see on the news now. Uh, which shows that this thing in Gaza has been going on for a long time. You know, the only difference is the scale of what's going on now. This we have not seen this scale before. Not just not just in in Gaza, but anywhere in the world. It has not been any any uh, bombing of this density of this intensity anywhere in the world to date. That's um, just un unbelievable. Um, but so we, we are, of course, hoping that the rest of the artists will make it. But it, it, it's so doubtful. I mean, it's, everybody's sitting at the edge of their seats, you know, not, not knowing when the when the next thing is going to happen. Well, that is I, I mean, I also want to ask, you know, how can folks advocate not just for artists, but if folks are. I, I think finding themselves at like a moral and ethical crossroads, and um, I, I think many people are, um, how can folks raise their voices? How can they advocate? And also how can they bring attention to, um, you know, what is happening? I think yesterday you and I were able to see each other in person at the museum. And one of the things we talked about is that several, and. And I will say it's something that's scary to me as someone who um, is a, a member of the press and loves my work and believes in the work of uh, amplifying uh, art and artists in New Haven, but also across the globe, um, that we have seen several instances of members of the press, including within the art world. Um, so I'm thinking of Art Forum uh, last week, also certain writers for uh, outlets like Hyperallergic, um, who have sort of been silenced or even fired from their positions for expressing solidarity? Yes, um, I, I think the important thing for people to know is uh, that in the United States currently and in much of Western Europe, with the exception of Ireland, uh, the, the governments and the press are uh, on the same page, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> uh, in in supporting Israel blindly, uh, without any questioning. Now, uh, we are dismayed that the the mainstream press uh, has kind of uh, abandoned uh, its its responsibilities towards you know being objective and, and telling the truth and seeking the truth um, there was a time uh, where journalists would question the government officials when they made statements uh, 
particularly, um, you know, when, when they're supporting such carnage that's taken place. Um, people like uh, Dan Rather, Walter Cronkite, Eric Severide, Peter Jennings are rolling in their grave now as they watch CNN uh, because networks like CNN and other major networks have really become nothing more than cheerleaders. Uh, where, where, where is the questioning? Where are the difficult questions being posed to Mr. Biden and to, to the uh, locally to the members of Congress? Uh, when one of them stands up, and I don't want to mention any name, and says, "Well, we were in Israel, but we didn't see any. We didn't see a point in asking for them to slow down or pause or stop." what they're doing and what they were doing were bombing the hell out of everybody and killing thousands of people every day so wh where is the press what happened to it um and the other thing that uh really we need to point out is uh is there's some sort of a a curtain that has fallen uh fallen in the US and in in western europe uh over any attempt to um, advocate for Palestine or mention the word Palestine and uh, or uh, even try just to be objective in a way. So we're seeing uh, the return of the age of McCarthyism. Uh, I mean, a lot of you may not be old enough to know what that is, but it is a bad phase of U.S. history where the freedom of people uh, were, went under attack. Uh, the First Amendment is being trashed by a lot of people in the government and in, in Congress, uh, all for the purpose of protecting Israel and what Israel is doing. And what Israel is doing now is really conducting a genocide. And... The, the politicians and the people who represent us in Congress need to be aware that they are personally liable and could be sued uh, in the in U.S. courts and at the International Criminal Court also for supporting a genocide. But without getting into that, uh, people who say something, they're getting fired from their jobs for the least, the least benign thing they say their job offers are being rescinded. Uh, students are terrified to, to say anything uh, because they're afraid, you know, that they will be blacklisted. There, there is a site that blacklists Palestinians and Palestinian supporters called the Canary Mission. Uh, nobody knows who funds it, but some people have some theory about who funds it. But it's obviously supporters of Israel are creating that blacklist and they put Palestinian activists and Palestinian intellectuals and students and teachers and professors uh, for the purpose of, of uh, asking employers not to hire them and discriminate against them because they speak about Palestine. Um, I know somebody yesterday who was a, a breast cancer surgeon, a very well-known breast cancer surgeon, was fired from her job at a major hospital because she posted one photograph uh, on social media. Uh, all this stuff is protected by the Constitution and by the First Amendment. 
but what the heck is going on with that? Um, the when the president of the United States takes office, and when when Congress people take office, they take an oath to to protect the Constitution of of the United States. So why aren't they protecting the Constitution? Our First Amendment rights are under attack. Our freedoms are under attack. We're going back to the 50s when everybody was using communism as a way to stifle opposition to government. And now anti-Semitism is being used in the same fashion as communism was used then to stifle any, any attempt at speaking up for Palestine. Sorry about the political discourse here. That, that's all right. That's all right. Um, I So I want to ask you a question that I have struggled with in conversations with folks this week, last week, probably the week before, um, especially with folks um, with whom I don't specifically agree on, on this. And I will say other issues. And um, And for anyone listening who maybe does not agree, even with this interview being on the air, I welcome conflict. My door is open. I can give out my email address at the end of the show, and you're welcome to contact me. But one thing, Faisal, that I have struggled with is how how do you talk to people about recognizing folks' basic humanity? And I am being specific here in talking about recognizing Palestinians' basic humanity, because I will say that I have had some very difficult discussions this week um, where I feel, I, I just feel like they have been absent of, of the notion that all lives are sacred. Um, and, and I am someone who believes, like as, as someone who reports in school and then hears schools in New Haven and then hears about the death of children. Um, and, and I will say, for myself, that means Israeli children. That also means Palestinian children. Um, that like it it breaks my heart in two. Um, and so, how how do we get a point to a point where we are recognizing each other's humanity? Well, I think I think we need to um, take a deep breath and think that uh, we, we we need to be equal. We all need to be equal. There's nobody better than another person. Uh, we're all human beings, and we all need to be treated accordingly. Uh, right now, uh, the Palestinians are being dehumanized uh, and demonized by the media. Uh, and the media immediately uh, condemned the Palestinians for being terrorists, being everything, all that. And uh, w without any any investigation, without any looking into this and that, it, it is not an automatic, you know, it's a summary, summary judgment and execution on the spot, basically. Uh, I mean, I, I don't necessarily want to get into the, the political discussion of it, uh, but uh, I, I think the media needs to, to, to start thinking about becoming more even-handed, and they have a a tremendous responsibility that right now they are not really carrying out uh, the, the responsibility of the media. The media is supposed to be the fourth estate. It's supposed to be what balances the three powers of government, the government, you know, the executive, the judiciary, and the um, and the legislative. 
and the 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 media, the press is supposed to be the watchdog that makes sure that all these powers don't overtake and 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 and, and hijack the society. Uh, so I think we we all need to agree that Palestinian lives matter, Israeli lives matters, Black lives matters, every life matters. So we need to stop putting any 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 descriptives next to the lives and just say all lives matter and let's respect life or whatever it is and and, and let's not demonize anybody. Uh, the the people that are losing their lives are very innocent. And they have nothing to do with a lot of the stuff that that was going on, or you know, um, I mean, the, the scenes that you see on social media breaks your heart. You know, I can't. Some people can't even see them anymore. You know, they're you see the you know like a, a six year old explaining to somebody that her mother died, and they ask her, "Well, how how are you doing?" And she said, "My mother died." You know, just you know casually saying it you know how could a child like that what's their life going to be like uh, there's so many children without parents because when the buildings collapse the parent the children are small and they're they can event they can be in crevices and in areas that is not totally destroyed so their chance of survivor is much higher than the parents and as a result there's an abundance of children that don't have parents right now whereas you know there are some parents that don't have children they lost it, all their children but the, the number of children is by far a lot larger the ones who lost their parents and, and, and it's a, it's going to be a huge problem in gaza i also want to ask i know that this weekend you with um, thousands of people are headed to washington dc and i I would like to know from you, you know, you keep saying, I'm sorry if I'm getting too political, but I think, um, I think when we talk about the basic humanity of people, it should not be a political issue, but in this country, sometimes it is. And in this world, sometimes it is. And so, you know, I, I would like to know from you how folks can, can support, um, obviously, yes, Palestinian artists in the art community, but also, um, like calls for recognizing the basic humanity of Palestinians um, this weekend, but of, of course also far beyond this weekend. I think people who would like to help need to call their their uh, congressmen, congresswomen, or senators, and or send them emails or whatever method they want, and to urge them to support the ceasefire. A ceasefire is going to save lives. Just think of all the thousands of people who are going to be killed during the next few days. Um, think if that can be stopped. Um, the American people uh, are, are very passionate. They're compassionate, sorry. Uh, and once they know the facts and know what's going on, I have a lot of confidence that they will act and they will move um, to protect life. Um you know, so, some of the scenes I've seen, um, I mean, I don't want to keep going to that, but I can't help that they stay in your mind is, you know, the the woman that died and they, they got the fetus out alive. And, and that baby's going to live. Uh, and just think what, what kind of a, a life they're going to have. 
Uh, we need to protect that. We need to have a ceasefire. Stop the fighting. Stop the bombing. Uh, stop the killing of people. Um, and and people need to talk to their representatives and, 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 and tell them that. Well, this is also the time of the show when I ask uh, artists and arts, arts leaders how they're taking care of themselves. And I don't know if there's an answer for you to that question, but you're you're holding so much. And I know that you've been holding so much for so long, even even before this. I, I just want to name, you know, for folks who are listening, that this conflict did not begin in October, in the month of October. Um, and I'm wondering how you how you practice anything that is even close to self-care right now, because I have talked to folks for whom there is like compassion and empathy and advocacy burnout. And I think that that is also a, a very real thing that we are living through. I mean, I do have a responsibility to um, to work on getting this our story out. You know, after all, the mission of the museum is to tell the Palestinian story through the arts. So we're working hard all the time trying to talk to the media. And we obviously very much appreciate an opportunity like this. And we wish that some of the other media um, can do the same. You know, I, I was interviewed today by somebody from the Boston Globe. But at the end, he was saying, well, if we go with this story, you know, then we do this is that I told him you have to go with this story. He says, well, I'm not really sure. So when we talk to journalists, the first thing we, we find out that the journalists are afraid to publish the story because they don't want to be fired. Uh, and so we we need people to speak up. All I could say, wake up, America. America needs to wake up. America is not aware of what is going on. We need people to wake up. So if you can put a wake-up call <laughs> for 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Or right now. Or, yeah. or both, yeah. Um, I also want folks to know before we jump off how they can find you and how they can find the Palestine Museum. Because I will say... Um, it's this unassuming office park in Woodbridge and it like it's a it's a portal and you walk through and I'm someone who has loved art for for a long time, like since I was out the womb. Um, but I think that the the way art allows us to understand other people, other people's culture and other people's like basic human dignity is very important now, but also at all times. And so. I highly recommend, even, even if you are, for any reason, skeptical of this space, I highly recommend visiting. The art is beautiful, and I, I would say extremely moving. Um, so how can folks find the Palestine Museum? Okay, well, physically, we're located at 1764 Litchfield Turnpike in Woodbridge, but uh, visits to the museum are by appointment, and people can just email info at palestinemuseum.us that was i don't know if you have a way of uh, writing it somewhere we do we do um harry Drews can definitely drop that and uh once we get an email we respond right away and, and try to schedule an appointment the reason we 
we're doing it by appointment is because we don't have the resources to be open seven days a week. Um, and uh, we can also be more uh, accommodating with appointment because we can we can set up an appointment for each person based on their time needs. Uh, so if we had rigid office hours, visiting hours, they may not fit everybody. This way we can make sure that everybody's able to visit. Uh, and we're we're pretty flexible with our scheduling. Um, so um, we also, you know, have our website is palestinemuseum.us. So we're also with the same name on uh, social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and, uh, and X, which used to be Twitter. Thank you so much. Um, if, if folks are just joining us, you've missed an interview that I encourage you to go back and to listen to. My guest today on Arts Respond on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven has been Faisal Sala. And um, Faisal, safe travels. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us today on WNHH. I know that you have a very busy life, especially right now. I also want to um, just mention very quickly that on Sunday, November 5th, which is this Sunday, if you're listening live, um, there is a film, Farha, and um, I believe that the director is joining for a Q&A after the film. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, remotely, the, the, the director will be joining on Zoom. So, um, and for folks who are interested, there's a link um, if, if you want to attend, to register for viewing the film. Is that link also on your social media if folks are maybe not on the listserv? It's on the website, the link. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. When you, great. To, uh, when you go to the website, PalestineMuseum.us, uh, you click on events, and uh, there's a there's a page for each event there. Yeah. So um, so if you are a lover of film, uh, and many 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 people are, I I recommend this series. I recommend it to people. Um, you can join from the comfort of your couch if if that's sort of where you're at and how you're feeling. So. Or you um, can come in person also. Or you can come in person. The films are always free. Faisal, thank you so much. Um, and and have, uh, if you can, and I hope you can, a nice afternoon. Um, and yeah, I, I hope that folks listen to this and that they explore the museum if they don't already know the space. Yeah, well, thank, thank you, you so on behalf of, us. thank you on behalf of myself and and also on behalf of all Palestinians, particularly those in Gaza, who really appreciate the world hearing about them and hearing their story. And, and you certainly uh, are, are giving a voice to the voiceless here. And for that, we're really grateful. Thank you very much. You. Have a nice afternoon. And for folks who are listening out there, have a beautiful weekend. Be safe. Blessings to all. Mm -hmm.